Hi, I'm Karina. I'm the Music Ministry Director at Every Nation Auckland City. We are a multicultural, multi-generational, socially responsible church that makes disciples. We hope this message inspires you to honour God and make disciples. Kia ora koutou katoa. My name is, is Richard and I'm uh, the senior pastor here, which just means I'm the old guy. <laughs> uh, all paths seem to lead back to me, which is, which is cool. I'm really glad to serve you and serve God primarily through what I do, which is really beautiful. And it's great to be here. It really is. Uh, it's a great weekend. We had a beautiful, good Friday service just a couple of days ago. Uh, Ash Ish Bihal smashed it out of the park. Isn't that right? Great message. Can you believe it? The guy's a hero. I mean, he's never spoken before publicly, not even in a connect group in a home, and he says yes to an invitation to get up here and preach a sermon. And English is second language as well, so I, I, I was pretty impressed. And it was a very, very powerful and pure presentation of the gospel, which is always, always a moving thing. It's really precious. Today we're going to call it Empty Tomb. Burning Hearts. The title of the sermon is Empty Tomb, Burning Hearts. And I want you to understand the significance. In fact, I'm going to try to attempt what is really impossible. It's really impossible to overemphasize the significance of the resurrection. It is the resurrection that validates the Christian message. It's the resurrection that gives meaning to Christian belief. It is the resurrection that assures believers in Jesus Christ that he is the Christ, the anointed one, the risen king, the Messiah. It's because of the resurrection that we even meet here today. Without the resurrection, there's no church. There's no knowing of Christ. It's just pitiful, futile religious endeavor. It's the resurrection that, that's, the, that's, the, that's the key. I don't want to use the word magic. It's the, the key to it all, as Pastor Weyong said. It validates all that Christ said. It, it was the thing that was foretold for, for generations throughout the Old Testament. It is the moment that says Jesus Christ is exactly who he claimed to be. The fact of the resurrection really can't be overemphasized, but I'm going to try somehow for you to understand and walk out of this building with a fresh appreciation for the resurrection. George Ladd, he's the author, scholar, theologian. I've been studying a lot of, a lot of his writings. Lately, he wrote a, a wonderful textbook called A Theology of the New Testament. And this is what he says. He has quite a bit to say about the resurrection, for indeed, it is probably being therefore the most examinated and dispute or attempted disputation of the history of Christ because of an atheist or an agnostic or any skeptic, anybody could somehow, uh, uh, what's the right word, undo the resurrection, devaluate the resurrection, then the entire work of Christ is void. So it's the moment that has come under Intense scrutiny, thousands of years of examination, and still it stands as a fact. 
Man will have his theories and attempt somehow to sideline the words of Christ, but they cannot do it. I love what George Ladd says here. He says, The first recorded Christian sermon was a proclamation of the fact and significance of the resurrection. Peter said almost nothing about the life and the earthly career of Jesus. He made no appeal to the character and personality of Jesus as one who was worth a devotion and discipleship. He did not recall Jesus' high ethical teachings, nor try to demonstrate his superiority to the many rabbinic teachers among the Jews. He made only a passing reference to the mighty deeds that had marked Jesus' ministry as evidence that God's blessing had rested on him. George says this, the all-important thing was the fact that Jesus, who had been executed as a criminal, had been raised from the dead. It is not on the basis of Jesus' incomparable life or excellent teachings or awe-inspiring works that Peter made his appeal, but simply because God had raised him from the dead and exalted him to his own right hand in heaven. What am I saying? The very first Christian sermon talked very little, hardly ever at all about the things that we study in the Gospels. He centered on the central fact that Jesus rose on the third day supernaturally from the dead. As he had predicted many times, what we're going to do today is we're going to have a little nosy at the the resurrection according to the Gospel of Luke. If, if you didn't know this, there's basically four stories about Jesus, four different perspectives, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. When I was a young boy, I learned it this way. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John hold the horse while I get on. That might help somebody remember the first four books. Four different perspectives in perfect unity, for four different reasons and four different audiences, no contradictions about the life of God becoming man, the God-man, Jesus Christ. So we're going to camp out in chapter 24 of the book of Luke, according to the Luke, and we're going to look at two scenes really, really quickly. So Luke chapter 24, verse 1 to 7, and I'm going to read from the NLT version today. But very early on Sunday morning, the woman went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance, so they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them, clothed in dazzling robes. The woman were terrified, and they bowed with their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified. And that he would rise again on the third day. This is the word of the Lord. Can I say, no one expected it. No one expected 
the stone to roll away and the tomb to be empty. Not even the disciples of Jesus Christ. Not the woman, not the disciples, nobody. Who rolled the stone away? Well, whoever rolled the stone away had to get beyond and past the formidable, highly trained Roman soldiers, the guard that was set there. They also had to break the seal. You see, what would happen in those days is they would take a soft moldable substance, usually clay, and they'd put it on the joint of the stone and the cavity, and they'd have ropes attached to it, and they'd put the Roman emperor seal upon it. And if anybody was to break that, they would be dead. It had the authority of Rome, the supernatural power of Rome. (laughs) Not the supernatural power, the super regional power of Rome was upon it. And breaking that seal would invoke the empire's wrath. The woman couldn't have moved the stone even if they tried. It was a massive stone, a couple of women None of the disciples went there to do it. They were still cowering and and wondering what the heck's happened. They're weeping and crying and full of fear back in the upper room or back in the room. It wasn't them. Who moved the stone? Well, John tells us very clearly it was an angel. Sorry, Matthew 28.2. It was an angel that moved. But why was the stone moved? The stone was not moved to let Jesus out. We see plenty of examples of the resurrected body would move beyond and through material matter. The upper room was an example. They're all crying away there in John 20 and Jesus just appeared. He's now in his resurrected body. He doesn't have to knock at the door and turn the handle like all of us. He just turns up. So the stone was not moved to let him out. Why was the stone moved? It was moved so that others could see and be persuaded that Jesus had risen from the dead. Can someone say hallelujah to that? The empty tomb, friend, is a promise of new hope. It's a promise, indeed, of a new life. Those were some lovely women early in the morning in the tomb. Later in the day, in chapter four of the gospel according to Luke, it's a couple of men in the afternoon, late afternoon. They're on a little bit of a walk. They've all been in Jerusalem and they're all despondent, they're all disappointed. The one that they hoped, they believed was a Messiah was gonna come and overthrow the Romans, but there he was in the tomb and all their hopes and aspirations were dashed. They'd done whatever they did immediately after the crucifixion of Christ and that silent Saturday we talk about. And these couple of men, one of them's nameless in the scripture, the other guy is called Cleopas. And they take an 11K walk, just over 11 kilometers from Jerusalem. They lived in a place called Emmaus and they're just walking. It's a pretty somber mood, kind of like after a funeral. In fact, very much like after a funeral. And they're just walking, 
And they're just talking and they're commiserating and they're just talking about the good old days with Jesus and the miracles that happened and what their aspirations were. And they're just trying to strengthen and encourage one another as they go along. But Jesus shows up and they don't know it's Jesus. He must have had some other kind of appearance. It's a very weird, odd, kind of strange moment. But Jesus turns up and it's quite evident in the story that he's just walking with them saying nothing for quite some time because he picks up the thread of the conversation. And they're talking about the biggest event that's just happened, right? Just a few days earlier, didn't it go dark in the afternoon when the, the sun was blotted out? I mean, the massive things that happened in nature to, as evidence of the death of God, they would have seen it all. I mean, everyone, you couldn't hide from that. Jesus comes along and says, hey, boys, what are you talking about? Like, where have you been? What do you mean? And they began to have this conversation, and Jesus very skillfully played with them. He wanted to find out what was in their hearts, and so he asked questions like, what things happened? Just to see, you see, if you listen to someone long enough, you find out what's really in their heart. He's wanting to find out what was in their heart and what, the, what they believed at that point. And they said, well, we're talking, we're talking about Jesus. And they went through a list of Jesus was a prophet and he, was the, he did all these incredible things and he said all these incredible words and, and he was going to be our Messiah. But they crucified him. He got falsely arrested and he got crucified. And they're walking and they're walking. And they're getting towards the end. They're getting, they can kind of see Emmaus on the horizon. They're just walking these dusty streets, dusty pathways. And do you know what Jesus said? You fools. <laughs> I just love the fact that Jesus talks to people like no preacher would today. I really do. He doesn't dumb down the God's word just to get a crowd doesn't make it all palatable and feel good and just felt stuff. It's, he just says what it is, you fools. He says, you fool, you foolish people. Verse 25, you find it so hard to believe all, the, all that the prophets wrote in scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scripture the things concerning himself. This is like cool, man. Jesus is doing a, a, a commentary on himself. He's saying that all the Jewish scriptures, every single book of the Old Testament is pointing to this moment. What's up with you guys? You're Jews, you know the Torah. You sing the Torah, you chew the Torah, you discuss the Torah. Why don't you see it? Amazing how he had to suffer like a rebel on behalf of true rebels. He had to be killed like a criminal on behalf of true criminals. And then he's going to come back to life and be vindicated by his resurrection to give new hope and new life to those who would receive. And by this time, they've just about right there at Emmaus. At the end of their journey, Jesus acted as if he was going on, but they begged him, stay the night, Jesus. They still didn't know who he was. They didn't recognize him. 
But something was happening in their hearts. You'll find out soon. They said, stay the night. Please don't leave us. They begged him. The text says, stay the night with us since it is getting late. So he went home with them. As they sat down to eat, he took the bread. He blessed it and he broke it and gave it to them. Just like he did at the Last Supper. What Jesus did right there was the key. Right in that second, boom, suddenly they understood. They saw him for what he was. This was an image of his broken body on the cross. And when they took the bread that he broke, understanding came. Suddenly the eyes were open. They recognized him. And it says in the Bible, at that very moment, <laughs> he disappeared. Whoosh. And they looked at each other and they said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? They didn't recognize him, but as he walked, past tense, as he walked, as he overviewed the scripture, Moses and the prophets and all the way through, something was happening in their heart. It was burning. Two things I want to draw from this, then we're going to close and we're going to move on. Number one, Jesus makes himself available to all people. All people. I want you to see this. This is pretty cool. If you remember when he was about to be born, who did God choose to announce his birth through? A few humble Shepherds. And these shepherds were unimportant in the culture of the day. And then we see in the story today about his resurrection. Who do the angels announce to about the resurrection of Christ? A few women. Women in those days had no social status, no standing. First we see an announcement to shepherds. Now we see to women. And then he does his big reappearance trick. And he doesn't show up to super apostles, global kind of television evangelists. He shows up to two ordinary men on a dusty path to Emmaus. One of them is nameless. And that is the point. The point is for all attention to be directed to Jesus. Shepherds, woman, Nameless guy and Cleopas in some random track in the middle of nowhere between two towns. What is Jesus telling us? That he is a saviour for the common man. He is a saviour for even those whose society would discard. He is the saviour, the king, the resurrected one, the Messiah for all classes of people from marginalized to the elite, all the way through. That's what he's saying. That's what he's telling us. He's saying that he's available to forgive all sin, to heal all hearts, to restore all relationships to him. And now that is beautiful. Can you say amen? amen. The second thing I want to highlight here is that Jesus offers us a burning heart. Interestingly, in the story, you'll find that 
the author, Luke, refers to sad hearts and slow hearts, which became burning hearts. These men with sad hearts and slow hearts, and I haven't got time to unpack that today, but I think this is a powerful picture of the church. How many people go to church with sad hearts and slow hearts, but no burning heart? But we're not going to unpack that today. Something's happening. They don't recognize Jesus, but there's a supernatural transference. There's an impartation of life, of spiritual life, of energy, if you will. There's a newness of spirit that's been imparted. The, the magnitude of the moment is, is the feeling that's happening here is like a burning heart. The Bible elsewhere would say a new creation, a movement, a divine glowing of the heart, friend. That's what Jesus, real relationship with Jesus will create a new heart. It will cause a pulsating. There'll be a life on the inside. Things which were hard now become soft and pliable. Things which are now filled with pride can be humbled and, and healed. Things that were distant and, and, and difficult become hearts filled with love. Burning hearts. Did not our heart burn within us, they said, as he talked with us and taught us his very presence caused my heart to burn, to yearn, to draw close, like no money can do, like no status in society can do, like no job or career or education can do, friend. A burning, simmering, pulsating heart that bursts and comes alive. That's what Jesus can do for you. And I'm so grateful he did that for me 30 years ago and one month. My heart was dull, and distant, and trapped in sin. Oh, sure, I went to church. But just going to McDonald's every week doesn't make you a hamburger. I can put my mattress in the garage and lay my head every night and I still will never become an automobile. Something has to change on the inside. And after a lifetime of attending church and on and off and on and off, try as I may in my human effort and my sheer willpower, I would constantly end up in failure because I hadn't surrendered my heart to him and allowed him to be Lord and Savior. And in March 1993, praise Jesus, 22 Harbour at Mount Albert, he showed up. And my heart burst into life. And the burning has never ceased. Do you feel it? Do you feel the burning of the Holy Spirit in your life, in your heart? If you do not, you can. 
if he can do it to a couple of nobodies on a pathway to Emmaus, if he can do it to a little Kiwi boy called Richard, he can do it to you. If you want it. I'm not talking about religion. I'm not talking about joining a church. I'm talking about Jesus and relationship with him. And it seems to me that moment happens when you come to the end of yourself. Foolish we may be to exhaust every other avenue except him. Take it from me. It's worth it. Your heart burns with love for him and gratitude and worship. And this is why Jesus came. It's why he was born. It's why he died. It's why he was resurrected. That's his purpose, is to cause hearts to burst into life and be restored into relationship with him. It says later on in the chapter, as I close, there is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. Only Jesus can renew the heart. And he starts by removing sin, the penalty for sin. Good Friday, the death on the cross, pays for the sin. And then he comes and he lives on the inside of this heart. Somehow, spiritually, he dwells with inside. He lives in the hearts of men and women and takes up residence and begins to change things. It's so beautiful. It's so profound that words try to capture it and it says new creature, new person, new heart, new life. And he makes it available to us all today. And the people today that are getting baptized are symbolically, externally and outwardly demonstrating that they've received a burning heart. Empty tomb, burning heart. And it's so, so excited. And they want to do it today in public to tell the whole world what Jesus Christ has done. Can I just pray? Father, you know each and every life in this room. You know each and every heart in this room. You know what they're going through. You know what's holding them back. Would you reveal yourself in a fresh way? Holy Spirit, would you touch hearts today? For those who have become cool, would you fan the flame of their hearts? To love you. For those who are observing, curious, maybe even here reluctantly, would you touch their hearts in a way that they would be undeniable, real, personal? And do it today, I pray, in your precious name. Amen. Thank you for joining us. To know more about Every Nation Auckland City, you can visit our website 
www.everynationauckland.city. For more messages like this, you can subscribe to this podcast through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you listen to podcasts.